to the Bible, the beautiful thing is that wherever you, go, wherever you are, there you are. And as I'm going through Exodus 30, thinking, well, there we are. Because what I wanted to maybe accomplish in these next couple of months is to tell the story of Conduit to get your input as well to, so that you know. But like, what would it look like if, if a church could be like a church, like what God did in Acts? And if you weren't here last week, uh, the podcast is up at, I think you can go to, can you go to conduitmission.org and catch the podcast? Probably not. If you can, yeah. So go to conduitmedia.org uh, under the media. And that one. Because we talked about it last week. Um, on the interwebs. On the interweb. On the interweb that you've got. It's there. And, uh, and bottom line is a church born in simplicity. We saw that what, what the first, the early church did these four things. So 3,000 people get saved. What do you do with them? They come together and they prayed. They were in fellowship together. They did communion and the, apostles, the teachings of the apostles. And then what happened because of that were signs and wonders and all these amazing things were happening in their midst and the Lord added to their numbers daily as a result of just those four things. It's like, what if that was it? Like, what if a church could be that? You know, what if... What they did, which was, I mean, the first controversy that ever arose in the church, it's in Acts 7, I believe, was about the food being distributed to the widows because the Greeks and the, the Jews, and they thought that it was unfair distribution. And, but the reason there could even be a controversy about that was because that's what they did. They took care of those in need. That was just an assumed thing that you would do in the early church. That was part of the, quote, fellowship component of it, that they would give to those that had need. And... So what if that was it? What if when you're writing a tithe check, you know, hey, you know what? I'm writing a tithe check and some kids in Haiti are going to have uh, lunch as a part of what I'm doing with this. And that's what we want to be. I and mean, that's what conduit has been that. Um, and then I get to thinking, well, what if it becomes, what if we become like a sending agency as well? What if there's a guy uh, that had emailed me about a few months ago and he, I had actually worked with him sort of loosely about 10 years ago. And he had Googled my name and found my blog and he said, I, and, and keeping in mind, this is going to sound better than it is. He's a real arty guy. Uh, so I stayed up like all night, like, like crying because it's like well, everything you guys are talking about as a church is what we've, you're, you're basically, he said, I felt disenfranchised, but I feel like you speak for me. Like what you're saying resonates with me. And he and his family are talking about moving down here from Grand Rapids to be a part of the church. Um, but what he was talking about was what if we do the 90-10 tour? So that's the model for Conduit is 90-10. What if we do a 90-10 tour? And, and I'm thinking, of course, my manager brain goes, ding, 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 and, but it'd be really cool to put something together. Like, you'd be just videoed every day. Like, part of the, the fun is like, okay, we get, you know, last night we only made 500 bucks. So how do we get to the next place for 50 bucks? You know, like, we only get to live on 10% for this two weeks. Can we do that? And at the end of a two-week tour, what kind of revenues could we generate for what's going on in Haiti so that the entire weight of it doesn't rest, you know, sorely on us, that we could literally be a sending agency. And um, so there's some things that are rolling in us. We're going to definitely keep our eye, you know, on the, on the ball. We're going to uh, always try to skate to the puck, to be, to be thinking ahead and to be creative. But, but terrible metaphor night. It's, ter it's terrible metaphor Tuesday. Um, that's tomorrow. Without Without, I'm just saying. Uh, that's, there's just a lot of things that we could do. When, when you just erase everything off of the whiteboard and start over, what could we do? And... And I think that there's some things that, that tradition have brought us that are great. And I think there's, there's some things that tradition have brought us that just keep us really busy 
doing stuff that sounds great, um, but it's not necessarily stuff that our Father uh, asks us to do. And there are some things, like if you're looking for the cheat sheet, we talked about this last week, like we know that we're all going to stand before the Lord someday. Um, it's not going to be, if you're a Christian, it's not about judgment, right? Because Jesus absorbed that punishment, but it's going to be about rewards and for what you've done. And if you want to know what it is that he's going to ask you or me on that day, go to Matthew 25. It says, did you feed me when I was sick? Did you give me water when I was thirsty? Did you visit me when I was in prison? That's the, that's the cheat sheet, you know? And I, we do homework a lot on Sundays and a lot of it is preparing for tests through the week. And let me tell you what, the open book tests, those are the best ones. And, uh, we have one right here. We don't. Have, we get to go to the book when the test comes, and ultimately we know what's going to be on that test. And I remember a couple of years ago, I started cross-referencing my life with that and realizing, man, I am hosed. Uh, I don't even know anybody that knows anybody that's a widow. You know, what I mean, I'm like, I don't know. I don't. I don't know any orphans. I don't. I, I needed to get myself in that jet stream because where I was before was in the, the country club jet stream, which is. We'd go to church and punch the clock. And, and not that that was what was being told of us to do, but that was just the jet stream that I'd found myself in. And so sometimes God hits, um, I don't, if you're a computer guy, you know, sometimes it gets a little bogged down and gets a little slow and you just need to restart. And that was a restart moment for me. Exodus 30, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 30, verse 22. I want to read this to you and then I want to show you something that, that I felt like the Lord jumped out at me today with. The Lord said to Moses, Keeping in mind, this is the tabernacle. We were going to the furniture, and here's what's in the tabernacle right now. And he says to Moses, take the following fine spices, 500 shekels of, of liquid myrrh. You don't really find that at Office Depot. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels, in case you're wondering what half is, the 500, of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant cane, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel and a hin of olive oil. Sounds delicious, don't it? Um, and what would happen in this is that they would take this and it would heat up, which is what we have to have plenty, right? Heat up And it would begin to make the room uh, smell amazing. When they would cook this thing together, it became, basically it became like a perfume. Um, and we go on to see the incense in a minute. But he says, make these into a sacred anointing oil. If you've been to church before, maybe you've seen that, the anoint them with oil thing that we see, um, that it talks about in James even, uh, to anoint people with oil. This is kind of where this comes from. And then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the table and all its articles, the lampstand, its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, and all its utensils, and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy, and whatever touches them will be holy. And then verse 30, anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them so that they may serve me as priests. Say to the Israelites, this is to be my sacred anointing oil for the generations to come. And if you're an underliner, you might want to underline verse 32. Do not pour it on men's bodies and do not make any oil with the same formula. Don't duplicate it. It's sacred, and you're to consider it sacred. Whoever makes perfume like it, whoever puts it on anyone other than a priest, must be cut off from his people. Jesus in John chapter 8 says, 
He's, the Pharisees are gathered around him, and he tells them this, that you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And they say to him, that's great, but we've never been slaves before. We're not a slave to no man. And now, of course, Jesus didn't correct their bad history, right? Which is, well, kind of you were. Do you want to go with the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Egyptians? I mean, pick your slavery. I mean, so they, they were, it was kind of a bogus thing to say. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't correct their bad history. He says, any man who sins is a slave to sin. So you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Jesus saying to them that that's it. You've been, you're a slave right now. You don't even know it. And we, you and I, battle with that same thing as being slaves to sin. Of course, when we accept Christ, not only are we absorbed, he absorbed our penalty, but he's also set us free from the power of it. And in Luke 4, what, you know, actually, why don't you turn with me to that one? Usually I don't make you do a lot of Bible hopping, but I think you should see this because I think this one really needs to sink into us because it really, in my opinion, is going to tell us the story of how we can act as a church corporately and as a church individually. Jesus is in Nazareth. Our church at Journey just came back from a missions trip to Nazareth. And in Nazareth, he stands up in the temple. And in Luke chapter 4, he actually reads from Isaiah chapter 61. Jesus says, he stands up, he opens the scroll, and he opens it to Isaiah, and he reads these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. That word that we just saw, anointed in Exodus he says, he's anointed me to do what? To preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So the spirit of the Lord was resting on Jesus to do these things. And if you and I are Sons of God, which it says in Romans 8 that you and I are, he gives us power. If we believe on him, he gives us the power to become sons of God. We're sons and we're daughters of God. And if you look in Exodus, Aaron, who's a picture of Christ, was anointed, and his sons. So you and I were anointed. And it's funny because I've heard that word. If you grew up in a church like I did, you've heard that word thrown around. Like, man, that lady, when she sang, she was so anointed. Or man, worship was so anointed. Or that guy, when he preaches, is so anointed. Like, you've heard that phrase, right? Here's the deal. We're all anointed. Because it isn't like some mysterious, ethereal, tingly thing. That's called talent. And it's great. And it does make you get excited. And it's awesome. But this is different. Anointing means that it's being poured on you. And it says that you and I are anointed. It says that in 1 John chapter 2. It says that we have been anointed. In chapter 2 verse 27, it talks more about that, that anointing that you and I have. In the Old Testament, by the way, there were three kinds of people that were anointed. The king would be anointed right when he was made king. The prophets were anointed with oil. And the priests were anointed with oil. Those three groups of people were anointed, which is a great picture, right? Because Jesus is our prophet, our priest, and our king, anointed with oil. You and I, we are anointed with oil, the, the oil of the Holy Spirit. If you're reading the Bible in the Old Testament especially, when you come across the word oil, perk up because it's talking about the Holy Spirit. In the New Testament, when it talks about oil, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's a picture of it. And in Psalm 133, there's a picture of what that could look like in our lives. 
go there with you. It's on page uh, with you, <laughs> page 553. Man, it's still funny. Eight years later, it's still funny. <laughs> I'm going to be that dude when I'm 80 years old at the grocery store when it doesn't scan. And I'm going to say, well, that means it's free. Ha, ha, ha. Like it's the first time that the cashier's ever heard that. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, Psalm 133. Because, so we know that Jesus was anointed. We know that if we've accepted Christ that we're anointed. You know what? Hold your finger there. No, no, don't. Just, just, go, just stay there and I'm going to go someplace else. I'm, I'm going to read something to you. Keep, stay right where you are. <laughs> Because there's another reason for the anointing, by the way, as well. In, in Isaiah 10, 27, you can write it down and go there later. If you're looking for one thing that encapsulates what the anointing is for in our lives, Isaiah 10, 27, it's talking about the Assyrian. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually talking about literally the Assyrians. It's prophetically speaking about Antichrist, which is the Assyrian that is, in fact, if you look for Google names of the Antichrist, um, you'll see the Assyrian is one of the names of Antichrist. And in 1 John chapter 2, when it talks about your anointed, that's the one page in the Bible where it actually talks about Antichrist. In fact, the word Antichrist is only used just a couple of times in the Bible, and it's in 1 John chapter 2, talking about the anointing. Now, now listen to this. And it shall come to pass in that day that his, the Assyrian, the sinful one, the one that is in place of Christ, his burden shall be taken from off thy shoulder, and his yoke from off your neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. We're not only freed from the penalty of sin, but we're freed from the power of sin over our lives. And here's the cool thing. There's actually like a really practical way that this plays out in our lives. I mean, if you've been around me a while, you know that I get really curious about stuff, and I'm like, oh, that sounds great and ethereal, but how does that work? So I know, now I'm anointed, and that sounds great. And I could put it on my business card now, Darren Tyler, anointed. The anointed one, LLC. <laughs> but what does that look like? How does that work? Psalm 133, I think, paints the picture for us. The, how good and pleasant it is, right? You've heard this. When brothers live together in unity. Now, when I first read this, it sounded kind of gross. It's like precious oil poured on the head. Which sounds cool, except for that sticky and slippery, and it doesn't wash off well. You know, if you've been around, like when I was a little kid, Marcus Gonzalez, my buddy, took my cat and dipped it, in a, he had it in a gunny sack and dipped it in transmission fluid, okay? Yeah. Yeah, we, we yeah. And we laughed. and No, we didn't, because I'm thinking, I'm in so much trouble, because oil doesn't wash off, right? And if you've ever tried to wash a cat in general, not good. So... You think of this, you think, practically speaking, this is kind of gross. This is oil going over this guy's head, and it says, and down his beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robes, talking about what we just talked about, which is anointing with oil. We look at it in our church services, and we take a little dot, and we put it on their forehead. They were dumping the whole bottle out, right? And it smelled great. It was like God's Febreze. Just, whoa. And when you think about it, even when you get into the altar of incense, if you've ever smelled the inside of, 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 a, of a carcass, it's gross. You that work in the medical field, the inside of a body, that's really gross. That's what they had to experience in the, in the tabernacle. They were killing cows and goats and sheep. It would have smelled awful. But they had God's Febreze in the air. You would walk in and you would 
see this, but then you would be into the Holy of Holies where there was the priest who was with this, this oil that smelled amazing with this, uh, the incense that would cover the air and reminding us that, that that terrible scent of sin and of death was covered with this scent. And it says that it rolled down over the collar of his robes. It's as the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. This is such a great picture of the anointing. Jesus in general gives us a great picture of it. I mean, in general, when you think about it, it smelled great. It was soothing. It was refreshing. In the middle of death and sickness and disease, this thing with these dead animals was this amazing smell. And what a great picture of Christ to us. That the anointing is always coming. It's sweet. It's soothing. It's refreshing. If you are claiming the anointing and you're being a jerk, you know, there's a flag on the play. That ain't right. It's not the anointing. The anointing is, again, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit on us. The Holy Spirit in us coming out of us. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's kindness. It doesn't mean we're not going to be direct. And Jesus turned over some tables, right? But he did it in mercy because he knew that the only way that those Pharisees were going to listen to him was turn over some tables. I got their attention. But he did it in love. And you know he did it in love because who was the guy that always got the invite to the parties? It was Jesus. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, turned the water into wine. He's that guy. He's the guy that, and I love this about Jesus, and I want it so bad to be me. Sinners felt so comfortable around him, and religious people felt really uncomfortable. That's the anointing. But look at this. How does this work? How does it work practically in my life? How does it work practically in your life? And how could this look as us as a church? First, it starts with the head. Who's the head? Jesus. It says that he is the head, we're the body. Aaron, it says, is a, is a type of Christ. It talks about that in Hebrews. It starts at the head. We have got to remain attached to the head. That metaphor that Jesus talked about, the fruit of the Spirit, is love. If we're going to bear much fruit, we have to remain attached to the vine. That metaphor is the same right here. This oil starts with Jesus. It starts with us being connected to Jesus. And it goes down to the body. And I appreciate the enthusiasm of a lot of folks when they say that, well, you've got to gather as the church because, well, there's that one verse in the New Testament that says you shouldn't forsake the assembling of yourselves together every week. Except that it doesn't say that. It does say we should forsake not the assembly of ourselves together. But we can't base the entire basis of why we gather as a church on just that one obscure verse. This is a perfect picture. One great reason that we have to remain connected is the body. Because if the body is attached to the head and the oil is coming down, but you've decided, I've decided I'm going to go be a lone ranger somewhere, then I'm not there for when the anointing actually falls down. When the oil, the Holy Spirit, you've got to remain connected to the body. And if you're a father, if you're a mother, if you're parents, you get it. Because what you understand is that you love it when your kids are getting along. I love it when all my kids are in one room. And you, if you were here earlier, you see how that cannot necessarily go that way. Because the kids, you know, you know, I'd said it before, but I think that's why God loves the prayer of agreement so much. If my kids can agree on anything, I'm there. Done. Everybody wants to go to the same restaurant? Sign me up. It's a family thing. It's a father thing. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants us together. And we've seen as conduit, man, together we can do more. There are practical applications for this. 
when we together lock arms and go and serve our community, we can do more. And that, to me, is the third thing with the anointing. Not only you got to remain attached to the head, remain connected to the body, and then what happens is this. It's as the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Because what happens is from there, refreshment goes out into the country, into the world. The dew, if you were there, you would know in the desert that the dew is a life-giving force. It's water. It's the Holy Spirit flowing out into the community. So the anointing on us, on you and me, it happens when we remain attached to Jesus. It works best when we're connected to each other. And the result of it is that it flows out into the community. And what does that look like? Acts 10. Verse 38. You're anointed. I'm anointed. Not because it's some tingly thing. Not because I can sing like Michael Bolton. Thank God for that. That I can make somebody feel all like tingly and excited and get them, you know, riled up. That's not the anointing. The anointing's the Holy Spirit on us. It breaks the power of sin over us. And here's what we do with it. Here's what it says that Jesus did in Acts 10, 38, that God, you've heard how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. The purpose of the anointing isn't so we can set up in a convention center and so that we can impress everybody with our spiritual stuff and to call people in so that they can follow the signs and wonders. The purpose of the anointing in my life and your life of the Holy Spirit is really simple, is so we can go around, just like Jesus did, doing good. Jesus fed hungry people. Jesus, it says, I came to give, give sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, you and I, to set us free. That's what he was anointed to do. That's what the anointing is on us to do. He would encounter people who were in sin and he would love them and they would repent. He would preach the gospel. And I love this part. I skipped this over for 38 years of my life to the poor. It's a lot more fun to preach the gospel to the rich because they can give gigantic offerings. But let me tell you what, you go set up in the slums of Jakarta and 10% of zero is zero. And that's where Jesus went, was to the poor. And he preached the gospel. That's what the anointing is for for me. It's what the anointing is for for you. That we can go about doing good. And I get fired up because I think, man, as a church, if that's what we're doing, we're just going around doing good. I mean, look at it. Most of the times when Jesus would do a miracle, he didn't just pitch a tent and do a sermon. They just started catching on. Hey, there's something different about this guy. You know, in, in, in Journey Church, every Sunday, there are 50 to 75 people that we meet in the back hall, and then we go somewhere. We go to the Cherokee housing. We go to the nursing home. We go to love our community. We're not handing out business cards. We're not putting baggies on their door to you know, make sure they know that it was our church. We're just loving them. We're just giving little old ladies a hug that don't get visitors. We're playing soccer and kickball with, in the housing projects, and we're loving them. We're going around doing good. And I think as Conduit Church, man, we'd be idiots if we weren't doing that. We've said it here, but I really do want my kids to grow up, and when they go to college, to be, they end up at church going, when do you serve? What Sunday do I get to serve on? Like it's, 
Like in their minds, it'll be ridiculous that they're not serving. Really? You don't serve? Really? Like what a great idea. And maybe in the early days, we'll only have five or 10 of us, but still, five or 10 of us will meet at church and we'll go hang out, whether it's at Place of Hope or wherever God leads us, whatever God puts open in front of us, we'll do that. We'll go around, we'll do good. And the Holy Spirit, like the dew on Hermon, will refresh people. It draws people in. Tell you what, it's a whole lot easier to preach the gospel when I've earned the right to be heard. And when someone's at the bottom of the barrel, when someone's life has fallen apart and we're there just to, to love on them and to hug them, and, that is, and sometimes it's going to be actual provision. It's what we do right now. If you ever get to go to Haiti with us, you get to see what loving someone looks like. You get to see that just like the oil on Aaron had a scent, it had an experience. You couldn't see it, but you could smell it. You could experience it. And I love that because I don't know if you know this, but smell is the number one sense that you have as far as triggering memories. It's one of the most powerful senses that you have. So leaving that, that idea, that scent of the Holy Spirit, which is love, which is the fruit of the Spirit, I'm excited about that because it's what Jesus did. And you know what? There were miracles when Jesus was walking around on the earth. There were miracles when the apostles were doing this in their communities. And maybe that's what we'll get to see too. I know we see them internationally all the time, but maybe just a, a group of folks that just get together simply to love Jesus and to go and love each other and love the world around them. Maybe that'll bring those kinds of miracles into our world as well. The anointing is something that I want desperately for us. And it's so easy. We just remain attached to the vine. We remain attached to the head, to Aaron, to Jesus. And let that fall on us. Let it fall on the body collectively and spread out to the world around us. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your spirit to be upon us. That the power of the Holy Spirit, just like it was on Aaron, just like it was on Jesus, resides in us. That the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that very power, Romans tells me, it dwells in me. That's an amazing thought. Lord, as we begin to birth what God is, what you're putting inside of us, help us to, to hold tight to your word, hold tight to each other. And that someday, when we do stand before you and you say to us, hey, did you feed me when I was hungry? Did you give me something to drink? Did you visit me? We'll be able to say, yeah, we did. We did. We ask for your blessings, not on us individually, but on the work that you're asking us to do in this community collectively. In Jesus' name, amen. Any questions? Comments? Disagreements? Amber? Mount Hermon. Oh. <laughs> That's the right question.